uh, one of the things I try to remind myself to do is put out a list of the 12 steps next week. Um, step one says, in Alcoholics Anonymous, it says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives become unmanageable. In NA, it says we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, I believe. Is that how it's put? Yeah. That our lives have become unmanageable. Uh, quite an interesting difference, actually. And of course, uh, the, across the range of, of programs, the, the word alcohol is substituted, or other words are substituted for the word alcohol. Um, Certainly, in terms of establishing our recovery, step one is the most important step. And um, I guess in some ways I want to talk about it not particularly as it relates to Buddhism. We'll see, but um, I'm just going to talk a little bit, and I'm going to read something too. But Because um, so, sometimes people come to me and say, oh, you know, I can't get sober because I can't find a higher power. And we will certainly spend some time talking about higher power over these coming weeks. But I've come to really question that idea that, um, that one would drink because one didn't have a higher power, or one would use or slip. Um, I think it's possible, but I think that the core reason that we relapse is that we somehow did not completely take step one. I, I see step one as a transformative insight. And what that means is that you know, we, t we do the, the practice here, sometimes called vipassana, as I mentioned before, means insight. And so we practice insight meditation. Well, there are insights and there are transformative insights. An insight is kind of a knowing or an intuitive knowing or even an idea that becomes clear. A transformative insight is an intuitive knowing that becomes clear and changes the way we live, changes the way we act. That's why step one is so powerful, because it isn't just, wow, I'm powerless. That's, you know, that's part of it. But when a true, truly taking step one, I believe, makes it much more difficult for us to relapse, because there's just this powerful sense that this doesn't work anymore. You know, and, it, and in fact... I don't want this anymore. You know, there's just that. And for many of us, the fortunate, I don't know if it's many, but it seems like many, I know of the fortunate ones, like me, when they get it, it's overnight. It's just, you're done. And that's how it was for me. I just kind of, I mean, it was a long buildup, and there was a lot before it, and a lot of trying, trying to get it together. But when it clicked, it just was over. And... Um, and I think that's, the, that's a transformative uh, first step. And, and the thing about it is, I don't, I don't think you can make that happen. And I think that a lot of what uh, people do and programs do and uh, you know, treatment centers do is try to get that click to happen for people. But you can't make it happen for someone. And, and, and certainly there are people who don't get it who still 
state clean and sober by just really working hard at their program and just being really devoted to it. But still, and I'm talking about people who still struggle with, uh, with their cravings on an ongoing basis for years and years. And, and one of my best friends is like that. Um, so I know that that's, that's a reality for some people and that, that's a tough way to go. But it's better than the alternative of giving in to the, the craving. Um, so t two more things before we uh, move into an exercise. Um, this, one of the things that I've done in this new book is that I've tried to uh, distill what I think of as the essence of each step or what, what's maybe most important about each step into the beginning of each chapter. And so each chapter begins with something that says, what's this step about? Of course, we're talking about my opinion, so, you know, uh, I hope it's helpful. The language of step one, especially the idea of powerlessness, can distract us from what the step is really about, quitting. As much as the 12 steps in Buddhism are spiritual practices, they are both founded in action, in behavior. And the starting point of that behavior in the steps and in recovery is to stop doing what we've been doing. This is the simple function of this step, to change our addictive behavior so that we can start the work of recovery. I also find it useful to view step one as the beginning of a process, something I think of as an archetypal spiritual journey. This journey starts in darkness, a bottom, that wakes us up to the unworkable nature of our lives as we've been living them. Just as Buddhism starts with insight into suffering, recovery starts when we honestly confront our own pain. This may be as simple as a persistent cough triggering, triggering the thought, I'll never see my grandkids grow up if I don't quit smoking, or as dramatic as waking up from a blackout in a prison cell and not knowing why you're there. No one can tell you what your bottom is. I've been amazed over the years of my recovery to see how little it sometimes took to push someone over the line into a program, and on the other hand, how resistant someone could be to recognizing their need for help. Yes, step one is about powerlessness and unmanageability, but both of those things are meant to motivate you to quit. Well, actually, I have two more things. <laughs> it never stops. I recently got the idea that step one actually contains all the steps. And I'm going to see if I can explain that. So obviously it contains the step, it's the step that it is, <laughs> step one. But because it says we're powerless, it implies that we have to, we're going to find something else. So it implies steps two and step three. With... If, if, if you present this situation of powerlessness, there must, be, there, there must be built into it some answer for that. Step one, as well, is an inventory. It's a, it starts with taking an inventory of our disease. It might, it's not the you know, searching and fearless moral inventory, but it certainly often includes a lot of that. It is 
so that to me is kind of four and five. Six and seven, which I sum up as basically letting go. Step one is letting go of our behavior. It's the first letting go of the steps. <coughs> the next two steps are about amends, and step one is an amends to ourselves and to others right away. We're already helping to heal our relationships. Um, step 10, of course, is kind of a reiteration of that, of the amends. So step 11, maybe not. doesn't quite contain that. So step 11 and 12, maybe not so much. But up till there, I think we can kind of see that there's a lot. It's like a little bit of a... Um, uh, you know, before the Big Bang, you know, what, whatever they call that tiny little... Everything is kind of compressed into that, and then it kind of explodes out into the steps. Just one way of viewing it. And, and I guess that's why I think step one is so important, that we can, we can always use it. Uh, it, it. It really is a guide to, to the whole process. Okay, one more little thing I want to talk about. Am I an alcoholic? I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. I don't think I'm an I'm not sure if I'm an alcoholic. I'm not really an addict addict, you know. I'm, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be, you know, that, it's not really who I am. And anyway, in Buddhism, you know, there is no self anyway. So if I'm saying I'm an alcoholic, it's like really limiting. It's creating this identity. And I'm, I'm trying to let go of clinging to identities, you know. Yeah, that's a good excuse. I don't think it matters what you call yourself, or if you are an alcoholic or an, uh, officially an addict. I, I was never diagnosed as an alcoholic. I never went through treatment. You know, my insurance company doesn't know. I'm lucky in that regard. I'm sure that's not true of everyone's insurance company here. You know, and you can look up clinically what's an alcoholic. That's not the issue. The question is, how's it working for you? You know, how's that going? And what I've come to see as the critical question for me, or the critical uh, kind of uh, formula, is that when I was drinking and using, I had problems, but I couldn't really deal with them. Today, I have problems, but I have ways of dealing with them. And over the last 27 years, I've managed to deal with problems one day at a time. And, and thus, my life has progressed. Things have progressed. Things have, we call it getting better. You know, good, bad, uh, you know, it's progressed. There's been change, there's been growth. Some lots of good things have happened. You know, from the outside, my life looks good. From the inside, it looks good. So it's pretty good. Before I got sober, when, from the time I started drinking at 16 and taking drugs at 17 till the, I was 35, my life didn't really progress. You know, dropped out of high school, got in a band, got in another band, got in a relationship, got in another relationship, 
gotten another band, gotten an, you know, it was just, I was nowhere. I mean, I was literally, nothing had changed when, when I was 35 from when I was like 20, you know. It's just the, you know, the, the geography <laughs> and the faces, but it was all the same stuff. Because I couldn't deal with my, I couldn't deal with life. And alcohol and drugs got in the way of that. When I stopped drinking and using, I still had problems. They didn't go away. If you think that that's going to solve everything, you know, you'll probably be disappointed. If you think that meditating is going to solve everything, you'll probably be disappointed. So that's all I have to say about that. So don't bother me about that question. <laughs> what? Talk yes, really. That's actually what you're going to do next. Thank you. Good call. So I, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to share in small groups. Um, it's something, if I can, you know, stay organized enough over these seven weeks, we might do this a few times. I'm not making any promises about that, but I'll try. Because I think it's really valuable to, to talk with each other and to, to share a little bit. And, and I also want to kind of introduce you to some other aspects of mindfulness, one of which is mindful listening and mindful speech. So I'm going to suggest that as you're speaking with a few of your fellows here, that you try to let go of your own internal dialogue. Any judgments, any... Uh, comparisons, any wish to share or, you know, crosstalk, and just let go as much as possible and just listen. Just listen with an open heart and open mind. And in the same uh, way, when you speak, to really speak from the heart and try to really speak what is true for you without trying to impress or... Uh, you know, tell not this isn't going to be really about telling your story, even though I'm going to suggest you talk a bit, a bit about your past. But uh, I mean, not your even if you're talking about the past, talk about it from your present moment perspective. Sort of ask yourself what is true about my past, because um, very often our view of our past changes as we evolve. And if we don't allow for that, we stay stuck in an old idea about who we were. Um, so it's helpful to kind of go, oh, well, I'm not sure that's why I did that. I thought I did that because of this, or I thought, it was, you know, I was like that. Well, maybe I really wasn't like, you know. So just to be very present with your own sharing. So um, I'd just like to people to share a bit about what it was like. So why, like, somewhat kind of like, why are, why are you here? What's brought you here? And then a little bit about your, your own uh, history uh, uh, before recovery. So uh, um, I know that's, that can be, that's a pretty wide open topic, but part of the purpose of this is just to connect and to practice see if you can just practice mindful listening and speaking. And part of it is to encourage particularly people who, you know, aren't uh, 
regularly involved in a program to to learn what it means to really open up and be uh, to reveal yourself uh, without shame and without blaming yourself. Um, I find that rigorous honesty, as it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, is one of the most important tools of recovery. So being able to open up to some strangers, uh, or maybe you're with people you know, but uh, I think is a really important tool in our recovery to not feel we have to put on a mask or hide anything. Um, it's those secrets that are so dangerous, as uh, as we know. So. Um, I'd suggest groups of maybe three or four, and just you know, just turn to some people near you. And so I'm suggesting that you talk about why you are here and what it was like. And so we'll have about, I think about ten or fifteen minutes for this, uh, and I'll ring a bell in a little while. So, so uh, gather up and uh, chat a bit.